Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Yo. Uh. Yo. Uh. Aubrey Ambers, Tony Schiavone, we bout to party. We bout to party, unrestricted, got the house now, we gon' turn it up, up, bring the house down, got that big space pump and make them bounce now, flossing like they bossing and the freaks are coming out now. Welcome to another edition of AEW Unrestricted, the official podcast of All Elite Wrestling. I'm Will Washington, and I'm never alone on this show. As a matter of fact, there's more star of this show, I'd say, and that's the one, the only, Aubrey Edwards. Checks in the mail, Will. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. And uh, I'm apparently, uh, for those watching, visually joined by by one of my, my lovely cats. Nightmare for me this week, but we won't talk about that. Instead. What we'll talk about is AEW Dynamite 200 just passed. Yes. It was a wonderful event from Tampa, Florida. A nostalgic event in a lot of ways. Uh, we talked a little bit about this um, on a previous episode of Unrestricted, but talking about really what went into this episode, what went into the 200 episodes of Dynamite, I mentioned before, Aubrey, you were a part of... Close to like 198, 97 episodes of the show. 197, I think, that is where my, my like, like there there had been two that I wasn't on. One, there was a guitar shot and I was kind of hurt, you know, but I was, I was still there backstage in medical recovering. And then there was another one that like we had too many refs, but I was still backstage. So like I had traveled for 197 episodes. I think the only one who had a longer streak than me was Paul, but he first missed his first collision recently. So it's like, ha ha, now the streak's been broken Whoa, for everybody. look at that. Yeah, so he he made it a little bit longer than I did. It was funny because I had to take some time off for some medical stuff. And then I went to Hawaii because if you're going to recover, you might as well do it on a beach with a fruity beverage. But I timed it specifically because I saw that we had like the 200th episode coming up. And I'm like, I don't want to miss that. One, it's our first time in Tampa. Two, it's such a huge deal, not just for Dynamite, but for AEW in general. And I think one of the things that really stood out to me with the timing of it was we were a couple weeks into Collision. We'd just gotten off like our second Forbidden Door. We'd done this Canada tour. So to see what we were doing at episode one at the Capitol Arena in Washington, D.C., to have this crazy like, oh, my God, this one show where all we had to do was travel Tuesday through Thursday. And now, like, we've got this great 
partnership with New Japan Pro Wrestling. We've got a whole other live television show that happens on Saturdays on TNT, which is awesome. And if you're not watching it, you're doing yourself a disservice because some of the most incredible wrestling is happening on it. But yeah, it's wild to see like the growth of AEW in this short amount of time. And before we signed on to this, I think my favorite thing about Dynamite 200 is when we started advertising it was just that the old school color scheme came back. Yeah. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. Yeah, that was one of those things where Tony was really holding on to that. Nobody knew about that. That None of us knew it, it, until it showed up on screen promoting it the previous week in Albany. I, I found Tony and I was like, wait, when were you going to tell us about the, the old splash graphics? He was like, I was holding on to that one. I, yeah. I, I was playing that one close to the chest, but I knew that was going to pop people. So uh, no one got to know about that one. And so that was really cool when that showed up on screen. Yeah, the, the old graphics, there's such a nostalgia for that because I remember all of the anticipation for AEW Dynamite in those months leading up. And then when... The, I remember nobody knew the name. There were rumors about what the name was going to be because, you know, when somebody files a trademark, it's, it's usually public knowledge. And so there was all of these like, is it going to be called Dynamite? Is it not? And it was only like two weeks beforehand that the actual name Dynamite got announced. I remember that poster hit, the TNT poster. It had the color splashes all over it. And then uh, it was actually Cody had posted the intro to the show mm-hmm. like, three days beforehand. And we got to see... The, the color bursts and it was just such a unique look for professional wrestling. It hadn't been done before. And I always, it always takes me back to that first period of AEW Dynamite when it was a brand new show and it was, nobody was really sure what to expect of it. And that kind of brings me into what I wanted to talk about to start with, which is the first episode of AEW Dynamite, an episode I watched very recently. I say watched very recently because I, I guess I'll give a little bit of inside baseball here. The episode we did in Albany, New York, which opened with, that was the Orange Cassidy versus A.R. Fox. Yeah. Very few people noticed this on Twitter. I don't think, I, I tried to look for like things that people pick up on. Very few people noticed this. That episode, the very opening of that episode is modeled after the first episode of AEW Dynamite. We did the intro and then it does the three shot of commentary. Then it goes to a video package, which in uh, we did the video package on the first episode of Sammy Guevara. This is the video of AR Fox and then goes into the opening match. The reason I wanted to talk about that was because that opening match on that first episode of AEW Dynamite was refed by one. Aubrey Edwards. Yes, it was terrifying. <laughs> One, never having done live TV before. So there's that whole aspect of it. And I've touched on it a little bit on this podcast before, but like live TV as a referee is kind of like just super difficult because you're juggling a million different things all at once. You're trying to portray a character that is enforcing the rules. You're trying to help your wrestlers tell a story. You're relaying production cues. You're trying to just like focus and not be in the way of shit that is happening. And one of the things that was really great about Cody, and as I know that he was like trying to give all these people opportunities. So I remember distinctly being in a car and driving to the Capital One Arena. I think Dean Malenko was in the front seat. And like, I get the format and I look at it and there's like, my name is the ref. I'm like, oh, (laughs) okay, okay, cool. This is, this is the thing. Fine. This is this is great. And at this point, like I, I think I'd signed my AEW contract like a month prior. So like I'm still just like worried that like I'm gonna get fired constantly because I have no idea what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm two years into the business. Like this is just terrifying. And like in that moment, it was just so cool to see. We had a sold out crowd. 
I mean, the boys put on this incredible match and the whole show was insane. The, the inner circle debut yes. at that episode. The main event was crazy where we had Moxley come in and put Kenny Omega through a glass table. And it's just like, oh, this is our reality now. This is what we expect every week. This crazy friggin' show. Yeah. Like I, it was nuts. As a fan, I remember coming out of that with that exact feeling of, oh, is this what I'm in for every week? All right, let's go. Let's go. There's so much about that first episode, too. I, I talked to you personally about this, but I want I, I have to say this publicly. Yes. In rewatching that first episode recently, when you when you see somebody in their current state in their current status and you go back and see almost the the beginning stages of a tv referee little baby Aubrey. it's night and day though (laughs) you know i i never had the thought at the time and it wasn't even a thought i had but the difference in your everything as a referee has has improved night and day Mm -hmm. just your your count cadence uh your screen presence everything is completely different from that first episode so I, I I know you're one to evaluate your own performances anyway, but just thinking Constantly. about yeah, <laughs> but thinking about that first episode and thinking about your evolution as a referee alone, how has that been for you? I think it's not just my evolution as a referee. I think there's also the evolution of the referee core and the team that we have, which is an absolutely excellent team. And my of all of the different teams I work with at AEW, both from like you know, individual matches to the heels team to video game team, like to everybody who's working on stuff behind the scenes. The ref team is my absolute favorite because we all just are very good about pumping each other up. All of us are brand new at live TV at that point. Bryce and Knox and Paul had all been in wrestling for a very, very long time for decades at that point. They're all freaking legends in their own right. And I'm this little baby Aubrey two years in not knowing what I'm doing. So there was a lot of discussions in the moment of like, hey guys, how fast do we count? I don't know, but it's a weird question to ask. But at the same time, we're establishing what is happening for the future of AEW. What we did there as we brought in other referees like Posey and Stefan and Brandon, they've had to adapt to what we've done. And at the same time, as we bring in one of those guys, like we've taken things and go, ooh, I like that. Let's do this. Or they've had the opportunity to bring up stuff. It's funny to go back and think about that we once had a conversation about how fast do we count? (laughs) (laughs) And then to see all of our count cadences kind of start matching. I think RJ City kind of made fun of us when we were on a Hey EW to see if we could all actually count the same. But it's just like a small little nuance thing of like how quickly you count and whatnot. I'm so glad you brought that up because it was like, yeah, this is great. It's like, okay, you're a little too fast. You're a little too slow. This one feels about right. Like, okay, well, what do the other guys do? Like, what do what what do we do on the indies? Like, we're just trying to figure out what that sweet spot is. Yeah, and I think we got it relatively fast. But yeah, it's the conversations you have on episode one are very different than the conversations you have on episode two hundred. What are some backstage stories you remember from that first day in DC? Uh, I think the big one was like just seeing who was showing up. There was so many surprises, like. Jake Hager shows up because he's now being introduced as a part of the inner circle. Seeing all of the things that Jericho is doing, bringing together Sammy Guevara, Santana, Ortiz, all these guys. Like the whole thing's a friggin' blur, man. <laughs> 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 like suddenly we had commercials to deal with and it was like, oh, how? what's a picture in picture? What's a hybrid? Like <laughs> we're all figuring it out as we go. And it's like, yeah, okay, cool. We know what we're doing. Learning, learning the names of all the crew and what they do and 
how they end up like even just like the bobs putting the ring together. Yeah. All of the things that happen on that day. Uh, that was the day that I was told I was actually going to be a co-host of this podcast because I <laughs> yeah, did I not <laughs> wow. tell you that? No. That was the literal day it happened. So I met uh, Mick Sobic. He's our VP of uh, sponsorships. He's involved with licensing. He's involved with the AEW games. He's, he's been on here before. But Nick is uh, basically like my direct boss. And he comes up to me. He's like, hey, uh, we're doing a podcast. We want you as a co-host. And I'm just like, no one knows who the fuck I am. <laughs> but I'm like, okay. That feels like my second day at AEW, by the way, where I walk in and they're like, hey, guess what? Right? I'm like, really? What? Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> but yeah, having one random conversation with Tony Schiavone earlier in the day kind of just like set that those wheels in motion. I'm like, oh, oh, okay, I'm cool. I'm just I'm just happy to be here. Oh my god. Like just I'm terrified. Terrified. But so excited and so wonderful and oh my god. Yes. Yes. I'm just going to say oh my god all the time on this podcast. Yeah, no. I, I, but like honestly, again, there's there's a lot of Little things. Again, just having recently rewatched it because it is available. Uh, we just recently put the episode back out. It's on on-demand services, things along those lines. You can go back and watch on the TBS app as well, the first episode of AEW Dynamite. But Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes were also there. Yes. That was cool. They were promoting uh, the Jay and Silent Bob sequel, yes. which Chris Jericho was in. And so there, there was a lot of tie in there. But the two of them were front row. They were also involved in a segment with the hybrid two, uh, which again, just all of that feels like a fever dream. It's wild because I'm I'm such a huge fan of Dogma. Uh-huh. Same. <laughs> so when I saw them, and I'm I'm just like at this point now, and this sounds very like egotistical, but like you're used to seeing random celebrities show up backstage who are just like there to help promote something or whatever. And I'm sure we'll get into this because there's been a handful, but like being such a huge fan of Jane Silent Bob, and then just like. They're literally like standing there and they're like fans of wrestling. Okay, this is cool. Do I say hi? Do I take a photo? Is this weird? I don't know what's going on. But then like they're involved with your show and this is just your new normal. Well, I did want to talk a little bit about some of the the guests we've had Mm -hmm. on AEW Dynamite because there's been kind of a who's who of celebrities we've seen on the show. We've seen Shaq. We've seen Snoop Dogg. We've seen Mike Tyson. Mm -hmm. Tony Hawk. We've seen Steve-O, Rosario Dawson. Who was your favorite celebrity appearance that we've had on AEW Dynamite? I think my favorite is Rick Ross. <laughs> that was going to be my answer. <laughs> Thank Dude, you okay. so much. You, you say why first, because I feel like I've been talking too much. I mean, it, they are the most memeable appearances of all time. Accusations was so great. Accusations. <laughs> Accusations. I That popped me so hard. And then, of course, the, the entering moment with Keith Lee again was just something and I, I still love like every time swerve goes and posts something mogul embassy and then i see uh when i look at the likes on instagram and i always see rick ross likes it gets me every single time because i just love how much he's still into the the mogul embassy act and everything like that but those moments got me so good but why for you was rick ross the one uh i'll tell this quick story before we go to break but I came out to Rick Ross's every day I'm hustling at my wedding. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of been like my jam for a while. I remember, I think we were in Baltimore the first time he was there. But I walked by the trailer and it says Rick Ross. And I'm like, like Rick Ross, <laughs> hold up. Like I literally just read his book when I was stuck in Minneapolis on a layover. Mm-hmm. It was literally life changing. I have like quotes written down in like the note app on my phone. 
And it's just, what's going on? What's going on? So I tell Swerve, like, dude, is he actually here? Like, I I need to talk to him. And I think, like, we had, like, football players there that day, and I, I could give two shits about who was there. I was like, I need to see Rick Ross. This is incredible. And I come up to him, and I'm like, hey, man, I just read your book. And he's like, really? You did? I'm like, yeah, I love the aesthetic of, like, you on the lawnmower, mowing your lawn, having all these deep conversations about business. And he's like, oh, thank you. And I'm like, yeah. And I also came out to like your song at my wedding. He goes, you know why you did that? Like, why? He goes, cause you a motherfucking G. <laughs> and like, I, I could die happy now. <laughs> like, honestly. <laughs> oh my God. That's amazing. Oh, it was so great. And I was like, can I get a picture? He goes, of course you can. <laughs> oh my God. It was wild. It was just, oh, I, I could literally die happy. Oh my God. We've got so much more to talk about on AEW Unrestricted. Coming up, more on Dynamite 200. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, everyone. It is AEW Unrestricted. We are talking about amazing moments in Dynamite's history and sort of a celebration of AEW Dynamite 200, which was an awesome episode. There was a little bit of nostalgia. There was awesome wrestling, as there always is, that we offer every week. It was just great. And we've been talking about celebrity appearances. We've been talking about, you know, the more like behind the scenes. But like, obviously, we can't not talk about all the amazing wrestling we've seen over 200 episodes. And we've had so many different groups show up. Will, I'm curious, like, do you have any sort of like particular faction of yours that maybe like stands out as your particular favorite? So, you know, I could talk about being a fan of the elite and talking about, uh, but like they're kind of pre-AEW, so... I really want to give credit to like a, a dynamite staple because it really only existed in the era of dynamite. But I was a big team Taz guy. And there's, <laughs> <laughs> there's a big part of me that is just every single time they, they pass each other backstage and I just kind of give them the nod like, you know, you want to do it. Just do it. Just get give me the moment. That was honestly one of my favorite creations to happen in AEW because I think it took multiple guys who all had different identities in themselves, but it really helped all of them find who they were. I think that when you take Ricky Starks, who made his Dynamite debut in the the TNT Open Challenge in his match with Cody Rhodes, uh, and then you had Will Hobbs, who, you know, he had his debut against Orange Cassidy, but then, you know, he was kind of finding his way on dynamite you had brian cage at one point who was he had been tied to taz the whole time and then you had this mysterious hook who just never said or did anything but you knew when he did it was going to be awesome and so 
when all of these guys came together and they were led by Taz, who in himself is just such a personality, I think, again, it just gave so much to those guys and really made us want to see more from each one because you got just this little sliver, a little taste of each guy with each. And I think when you can do that in a faction and you can make people want to see more, I think it resulted in everybody being better off for that faction. And when a faction ends and everybody's better off for having been in it, then you know a faction was a success. And to me, that was Team Taz. As soon as you said Team Taz, the first picture that popped in my mind was Hook offering like a bag of chips to somebody. Uh-huh. <laughs> because I think it was a good like year and a half almost that he was just on the show with his backpack, just eating chips in the background. You're like, who the hell is this guy? But and it then, like, made I think, people want to see more. It, like almost started as a as, as a gag, right? Where people it's were like, like a meme. Hey, <laughs> yeah, it was a meme, right? People were like, "Give us hook, we want hook." And then, little by little, they're like, the "We want hook" stuff started to make its way into the arenas. People start chanting, "We want hook." And then, when hook finally did something, huge pop. And I it just, was incredible. <laughs> and to me, that I think is how. Again, bringing multiple people together and making you want to see more of them. I think that's the mark of a truly successful faction. And I will always give props to what Team Taz was able to do in that time on Dynamite. Such a good answer. It's interesting to see, like, bringing back the FTW title, which I think at the time we had been at Jacksonville, maybe just a handful of shows at that point. Bringing that in, having the history of another company kind of be presented, and then now we have... You know, Jack Perry has the FTW title. So it's like now this sort of like this growth of there's there's this history of people who are going to be coming in, watching Dynamite for the first time, and they see this FTW belt and, you know, go on Wikipedia, Google it, all this kind of stuff, whatever. And you just see sort of like there's this massive history of this belt. And now there's this whole history on AEW Dynamite, mm-hmm. as you said, of Team Taz and everything that's happened there. It's like, man. This is so cool. We have like all of this like backstory now and all of this canon that is now a thing, right? Yeah. And speaking of canon, one of the things that I really love and just kind of segue into that is anything that Jericho does. Obviously, I'm a big fan of Jericho. I work with him a lot. But to see sort of he's made two major factions in the time that Dynamite has been around, starting with the Inner Circle and then moving on to Jericho Appreciation Society. And there's been some overlap between the two. But I think it's a testament to what Jericho has done in his role at AEW as far as coming in, being that guy, being that legend with the background, but also using his star power to build other people up yes, and to create opportunities for them. Like we talk about how Sammy Guevara is a pillar of the company now and all that he's done. We had, you know, Santana and Ortiz, one of the best tag teams in the business, doing incredible stuff. Jake Hager doing all these things, going from like this crazy, like hardcore like really serious fighter to a dude that's really into a bucket hat (laughs) we have all of this growth and then if you look at jericho appreciation society daniel garcia was just this guy from the indies that had all these crazy matches that now every time he does this dance everybody's just popping so hard for it and he's finding all of these opportunities where like even in serious matches with shibata where he just kind of pulls it out out of nowhere (laughs) and the best part is with, again, I'm going to pull back the curtain just yeah. a little bit here on a couple of things. Because, you know, recently we had the the segment on Dynamite where Daniel Garcia, where pretty much everybody walked out on the Jericho Appreciation mm-hmm. Society. And minutes before that, I asked Danny, are you going to do the dance in this segment? <laughs> and he goes, well, I don't know. This is kind of a serious moment. 
And I said, you have to. It's the moment. And uh, he goes, maybe, I don't know. And I said, well, I think you should. I think it, it would pop everybody. And he's like, okay, maybe we should talk to Jericho. And he's like, no, nah, I'm just going to do it. Uh, he said, I'm going to feel it. He said, I will feel it. I will feel the crowd. And if it feels like it needs to happen, I'm just going to do it. And it was one of those things where you could see it in his face as he is staring face to face with Jericho as he's about to walk out on him. And he just does it. And the crowd erupts. And that, the fact that it has made it that big, that it has become something that people look forward to with Daniel Garcia. When people see him, you almost feel this anticipation as soon as he hits the top of the stage and he stands there. People are like waiting and then he does it and everybody erupts. That, I think, is the power of what the JAS was able to do for him, right? Because initially there was this apprehension, which there should be. They're a heel faction. They're people that uh, when the faction initially came about and they're like, wait a minute, you're taking Daniel Garcia, a guy that we love to watch as a technical we wrestler. We love this and, wrestler. <laughs> yeah, we love this wrestler and you're going to make him a sports entertainer. And now... I think he still has everything that makes him Daniel Garcia. I Absolutely. still feel like he's one of the best guys we've got in ring. But the fact that he's now got just that added bit of personality, there's that little bit that we knew he always had. Like if you've ever talked to Daniel Garcia, you know that he's got so much personality and that he's been able to now show that on screen and on top of that, bring that into his in-ring persona and still be able to be a great wrestler, I think, is a testament to what those Jericho factions have been able to do. Uh, again, you mentioned Sammy Guevara. Sammy Guevara being tied to Jericho is, I think, gave Sammy Guevara a lot of what we knew of him personally. Like, when you think about the first episode that we talked about earlier, and that match you ref, Sammy Guevara came out with a, the panda head, and he was the best ever. And then, uh, within a few weeks, this man's the Spanish god, and... He is almost just this entire personality that we weren't sure we were going to get to know. Both of those factions can be looked at as a successful mark in Dynamite history. I want to touch on something that you said, just feel it out, mm -hmm. which I think is something that is said so frequently backstage when we're talking about matches. And one of the things that I love the most about wrestling is sort of the, the aspect that you get to perform but you sometimes don't know how things are going to go. And I'll ask like, hey, how do you want me to do that? And either the, the coach or the wrestlers are like, just feel it out there. Yeah. Okay, cool. And we have such an incredible electric fan base that I don't think they understand how pivotal <laughs> they are to some of the moments that we've had. One of my favorite ones personally that I was involved with was the very first revolution. Chris Jericho versus John Moxley, where we crown John Moxley the champion. And there's that moment where I throw out the inner circle. Mm -hmm. And since you're peeling back the curtain, I will peel it back a little bit. We're talking about the match and we're going over it, blah, 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 blah. And Jericho goes, yeah, so then we're going to do this. And then this belt shot happens. And then, and then you're going to throw out the inner circle. I'm like, okay, how do you want me to do it? Because you could just do like a quick little, yeah, but it's also a pay-per-view. So, but it's, it's not my story. So I'm going to take their lead on it, right? And Moxley looks at me and goes, go as big as you can. I'm like, e excuse me? And then he just looks at me and goes, go as big as you possibly can. Okay, I got it. So you're feeling the crowd because in that moment, you see everyone going like, yeah, throw them out, throw them out, throw them out. And you're feeling it and you're feeling it. Your wind up <laughs> on that, by the way, is one of my favorite things. I, I absolutely love it because talking to Ortiz after, like he ended up bumping on the apron when I ended up doing it. <laughs> oh, yes. Not something we had talked about, 
But again, one of those moments where you just feel it. Like as I'm spinning, you sort of know my speed that I'm having. And as soon as I do that, yeah, he just bumps. And it's so good. Uh It's a moment that you can't, it's lightning in a bottle. You can't redo it. You capture it and you feel it and you just know what that moment felt like, whether you were watching at home, whether you were in the arena, whether you're recounting it on a podcast, you just know how it feels. And that's just a huge testament to the amazing crowds that we've had at Dynamite, at all of the other shows, but just, oh, that's that's one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great stuff because your description of professional wrestling, I don't know if you've ever actually mentioned it on this show, and I feel like you should almost be the one to tell it, but I have stolen that in the time that I've known you because whenever... You know, somebody asks me, oh, what do you do for a living? And I tell them professional wrestling and they'll either go, oh, professional wrestling. And they go, professional wrestling. And when they give me that reaction, I'm always like, oh, no, professional wrestling is your specific description is, uh, did you call it great American theater? Was it? It's the true American performance art. Performance art. That was it. Yes. And I use that very often uh, because to me. There's nothing else like it in the world. There is no other form of performance art, of theater, where you can truly, as a viewer, as somebody in the audience, have that much of an effect on what's happening in front of you. Because, again, when you talk about feeling it, it is a case of when you hear that this audience wants something, sometimes you just got to give it to them. Or in the other case where you feel like they really want something, and in this case, you just got to snatch it from them. There's little things like that where professional wrestling is unlike any other form of entertainment on earth. It is truly my favorite form of entertainment. And and it's things like that. Again, like you mentioned, the lightning in a bottle. It's something you don't get to do again. It's not like we're, we're a touring act, but not in the sense of doing the same act over and over and over. It's a, you get it this one time, and this is the lightning in a bottle you're going to get because the next time we're here, it's not going to be the same. And I just love that about professional wrestling. It's my favorite thing. It's so good. As you mentioned, I mean, the symbiotic relationship between performers and audience, it does not exist. I danced for over 20 years and to do a performance and then have people clap after when they like it, people clap after a movie. Like you don't get mm-hmm. to impact what is actually happening in that moment. And being in the ring so many times where something's happening and you have a plan and you just have to stop and go, well, th- they want it. <laughs> yeah. You just change course. It just happens. And you'd be silly not to. But that's one of those things that makes it great. Like something works in this one city that may not work somewhere else. Someone works on a pay-per-view. Uh, something works on dynamite. Like all Something works at the beginning of the card. Something works at the end of the card. There's so many little unique moments in time that affects what this thing is currently happening and how it's created. And there's so much more, so much more to talk about. We could do this whole podcast for probably like four hours, (laughs) but we've got more to talk about coming up on AEW Unrestricted. It's AEW Unrestricted, Aubrey and Will Washington discussing Dynamite 200. It was an episode that was great. Just like every friggin' Wednesday, we have great wrestling. But this one in particular just kind of causes us all to look back and have this nostalgia and see all of the growth that we've had. And we can't talk about Dynamite without talking about the pandemic. Because that was such a, it was a long period of time. Very long. (laughs) But looking back at it. March 18th, 2020 to July 7th was the first show back on the road. Uh, 2021. I knew you were going to know those dates. (laughs) 
But yeah, to think like it had been that long, but in looking back at it in hindsight, it blew by in an instant. And I think that the current iteration of Dynamite would not exist without all of the things that happened during the pandemic. So there was this unique, and people have talked about this at various lengths, but there was this unique camaraderie that existed that I don't think quite exists today because all of us were going through this thing that was happening in the world at the same time and the world was a scary place. But we were all coming together, having these incredible shows, recording dark until 2 a.m. in the morning at Daly's Place and it's freezing outside. You think it's Florida and it's going to be warm, but it's actually like 22 degrees when it's 2 a.m. and it was freezing. Oh, as a viewer, we could see those, uh, especially on Winter is Coming, you could see the little space heaters at ringside. Oh, yeah, we had the tubes coming the up. Ring. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we could see those. You can see them. But like, there's so many things that happened during the pandemic that I think we all just kind of forget about. Like, as you mentioned, Winter is Coming, Sting debuting out of nowhere. We had Brody Lee debuting and then his unfortunate passing. We've had Dog Collar Match leading to his tribute show. The very first Blood and Guts was during the pandemic, mm -hmm. which I think for me is the moment that stands out the most because that was sort of the one where we had the most fans back up until that double or nothing that we had where we had the sold out crowd. Yeah. To touch back on the last segment, that feeling was unreal. To be standing on the steps on the heel side of the cage as Inner Circle came out and you just feel this wall of just sound hitting you. Audio has become physical. <laughs> it's literally hitting you. Uh -huh. And it's this incredible moment. I don't think we would have gotten there without everything that we had been through. There's this amazing line that happened in Dinner Debonair with MJF and Jericho where they mentioned the fourth floor and it totally passed over everyone's head. And backstage, all of us are watching it and we're just all rolling because this thing that is very unique to us during the pandemic where after the shows, we would all get together and there was this fourth floor of the hotel we were in where we would all hang out, party, whatever your drink of choice may be, whatever your food of choice may be, people are door dashing stuff and we're all coming together as a team. And I don't think it's something that we could do now just our roster is massive. Like we're, we're kind of split between shows a little bit. Mm -hmm. And as soon as Jericho mentions that it was to me such a pivotal moment of like, Oh yeah, this is the, we're peeling back the curtain. People don't understand how much we're peeling back the curtain in just that single line. But that line kind of reviewing the notes and whatnot before this just stands out in my mind as that was a big part of the pandemic was just the camaraderie that we felt as a team. That's amazing. And it's a thing that, to this day, being backstage in AEW, everybody always has, uh, at, at least everybody who was around at that time, always has a story about that time period of being at Daly's Place of, again, because in a sense you guys were, were in that bubble for every other week and, you know, you would do the, the two show tapings and, and whatnot, but you would spend a whole lot of time with each other. And yeah, you mentioned the, the darks till two in the morning. And, you know, my favorite thing about all of that is what came out of it there's a lot of acts that was the thing i was so curious about as a viewer and those who follow my podcast knew i was talking about this at the time a lot of as soon as they go back on the road you know the, a thing you mentioned in our previous segment was city to city something can work in front of one city something might not work in front of another and when you're doing things in front of this one audience, which is your peers. Yep. Uh, it was really hard to know 
what exactly was clicking with the audiences at home. It was always interesting to me to see what came out of the pandemic uh, successfully. I remember the first time Ricky Starks, who up until July of 2021, as far as AEW was concerned, had only performed at Daly's Place, uh, hadn't been in front of the AEW audience, right? And so when he came out, it was the Austin, Texas show in July of 2021, was it the HEB Center? Mm -hmm. When he came out to that big pop, and it was the first time that his music had been played in front of a touring crowd, and everybody's chanting Ricky, this was an act that had not been seen before. I, I remember I was in the crowd at Double or Nothing 2021. I sat right behind Britt Baker's parents, who, by the way, did not know the finish of the the match with her and Sheeta. I, I loved that. But sitting there, the thought I had, I felt so good for Eddie Kingston. When Eddie Kingston came out, and again, this was a guy who we had seen for the last year, but it had all been in Daly's place without you know, this full crowd. And when he came out and he got this big pop and then he's in the ring and the crowd's chanting, Eddie, Eddie, Eddie. And I just thought, my God, this is a testament to what's worked and what hasn't. I, I just love seeing that. I loved seeing what kind of successes could have been created without an audience. And then you put it in front of an audience and they feel it. And they wanted to almost show you that we love this, that this was all stuff that got us through a really tough time. So something specific that happened on Dynamite 200, calling back to the pandemic, mm -hmm. was the main event of episode 200, Tony Storm champion versus Sheeta, and Sheeta reclaims the title for the second time. Yes. I had forgotten that her whole reign had happened at Daly's Place. And as soon as she wins it, she goes on Twitter and says, and I did it in front of fans. And it was one of those like, whoa. This is wild. Like uh, the her whole title reign is going to feel different than the last one. Absolutely. Because she has this element that she didn't have last time. Like, yes, we have our peers. Everyone remembers Austin Gunn screaming at the top of his lungs for six hours constantly just trying to get people uh -huh. excited, which was very, very helpful. I don't think we could have yes. done what we did without him. But to have Sheeta's whole reign happen with only maybe a 10% audience at most, and then now we have a full arena and to have the incredible match they did, which was, I think, was over 15 minutes, mm -hmm. having Sheeta win that title in that moment, I think, was the best way that we could have ended Dynamite 200. Agreed. Everyone felt good about it. Everyone loves Sheeta. We've seen her growth as a wrestler. We've seen her growth as a person. I remember the first conversation I had with her at the very first Double or Nothing, and we had such a difficult time talking because she knew very little English. So I'm working with Kenny. I'm working with Michael Nakazawa, trying to like figure things out and make sure that we're all working the same. And now her English is incredible. <laughs> She's so sarcastic yeah. at times that it's funny. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it yeah, she incredible. literally she said to me what I was talking about. I, I brought up just an old wrestling memory, and she just looked at me and she's like, Is your head filled with anything other than professional wrestling? And I was like, No, no, it really isn't. But no, she's nope. she's great. Yeah, that moment in particular, thinking about as I remember feeling, she and I have talked about the fact that going into AEW and the launch of AEW. Hikaru Shida, if you've ever followed her career prior to AEW, prior to Dynamite, she was a heel in Japan. And so the Hikaru Shida you know today is truly of AEW. The personality you see when she hits the ring, that is a, an AEW product in a sense. And thinking about how when she first 
uh, you know, she was part of the first Double or Nothing. And then when she made her Dynamite debut against Shanna on, I think it was October 30th, mm-hmm. uh, 2019. When she oh, had so you that just know match. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When she had that match, that was her first Dynamite match. And you could feel the crowds really getting into her, right? Like every single subsequent Dynamite match. She had a match with Britt Baker. She had a match with Chris Statlander. She kept having these singles matches on Dynamite. And with each passing one, she kept getting more and more popular with the crowds. It was that last Dynamite, Salt Lake City, March 11th, 2020. The last Dynamite before the pandemic. When everything exploded. (laughs) Yeah, when everything exploded. But it was a tag match. It was uh, Sheeta and Chris Statlander versus Nyla Rose and B Priestley. In that match, with the last crowd before Daly's Place, the Holy Sheeta chant just organically started. It was just one of That's where it started? Yeah, that was where it started was that night. It was such an organic thing. I remember she like hit, I, th- I think it was like a suplex on on uh, Nyla Rose and everybody was just impressed with her athleticism and her strength and holy Sheeta starts. And from then on, you know, the very next week, there's no crowds, but but it's like, no, we just had this like really cool thing happen with the crowd. And now, but you could just feel her organic rise with the crowds. And so, you know, with the first pandemic pay-per-view with the Double or Nothing where she won her championship and then she had her subsequent reign all through Daly's place there was always this feeling of god we just want to get her back in front of a crowd because the crowds were getting her there and then she had to spend all of the pandemic run as champion and so for dynamite 200 to end the way it did with Hikaru Shida as the AEW women's world champion and having I thought it was such a poetic shot that that final shot you see with her holding the belt and the fans with 200 behind her. I thought it was such an incredible shot with the the confetti. Everything looked excellent, and I think that was an amazing way to cap off what Dynamite has been up until this point. And like you said, uh, to almost pay homage to what had been done throughout the pandemic. I I don't think there was a more perfect ending for that show. Mm-hmm. I love our locker room. The The women's locker room at AEW is just fantastic. Mm-hmm. And we were all standing back there waiting for this moment and being supportive of Sheeta and Tony because Tony puts on incredible matches every time she's in the ring with someone. And like Tony Storm, who wasn't a part of AEW, who now is and is developing this incredible character along with the, the outcasts. I know that they're like not AEW originals, but it's just it's incredible to see all of the growth of our roster, yes. whether it was someone who was there on day one, whether it was someone who came in during the pandemic, it was someone who came in after. I'm so excited for Dynamite 200. It was such an incredible moment. And I'm so excited to be a part of the next 200. Like <laughs> 200, honestly, hopefully very many more. Hopefully we never go away. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. I mean, look, 200 <laughs> is a massive milestone. And I, I told Tony Connors that it is something he should be very proud of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the whole team should be proud of 200 episodes of AEW Dynamite. When you think about the very landscape of professional wrestling and thinking about how many episodes 200 really is and to have done that to have accomplished that and to get to do it in front of that Tampa crowd. I think it was an amazingly shot crowd too. I I was commending Mike Mansuri for a lot of things as well. Just an excellent time. And again, I think you especially should be very proud of what you were able to do in 200 episodes. Thanks, Will. I appreciate that. I appreciate you. I know that you haven't been with us for very long, but it's been incredible working with you. I'm glad. I did a count. Uh, I have been at... 22 episodes of Dynamite. So I got like 10% of them. And uh, I think half of those were 
as a fan. I went to like eight episodes of Dynamite as a fan, and then everything else, I've been a part of the show. But uh, I at least got to say I was part of like 10% of them. Hey, there you go. There you go. And that, that number is only going to go up over time. I'm so yeah. excited. So thank you, though. I appreciate that. Yes, it's been an incredible run for Dynamite. It's been an incredible run for AEW. And it's been an incredible run for AEW Unrestricted. And thank you all for listening today. This has been such a great episode. I'm so happy we got to go back and talk about all of our favorite moments and just the growth of everything. It's such an exciting time to be a fan of AEW. You can listen to AEW Unrestricted new episodes every Thursday, all of your favorite podcast platforms. You can watch Dynamite Wednesdays, TBS. You can watch Rampage Friday, TNT. You can watch Collision Saturday. And then you can watch Ring of Honor Thursdays on Honor Club. There's so much going on. We've got wrestling four days a week. It's incredible. So you've tuned in at this point. Keep tuning in because we're going to keep being awesome. This company's great. We're doing great things. Thank you so much for listening to Will and Aubrey on AEW Unrestricted. Come on, throw your hands up. Let me see you. Unrestricted. Got the house now. We're going to turn it up, up. Bring the house down. Got that big space pump and make them bounce now. Flossing like they bossing and the freaks are coming out now. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.